just be uh, just be good to welcome some friends here today. Um, as many of you will know, I was based in a church called City Hope Church in Bermondsey for tw- I think 12, 11 years, and um, one of the elders there, John Greenway, and his lovely wife Jackie, looked after us in the early days of marriage and all of that, and actually happened also to be Luke's parents, and they're here with us today. So I just want to say hello, John and Jackie. Great to have you here. Um, so yeah, it's a real pleasure and privilege to have you guys. So, okay, where are we going to go then? Well, for the next four weeks, I've just kind of introduced a new mini-series. <laughs> we're going to start Ten Commandments a bit later. Now, we'll start the Ten Commandments in April. We're going to do a four-week Easter series. How does that sound? Yeah. You know it makes sense? Okay. Well, um, so what we're going to do for the next um, two weeks, we're going to look at some people that Jesus met on his way up to Jerusalem. Um, so he's on his way to Jerusalem to be arrested, crucified, and, and then raised from the dead. He knows that's going to happen. Jesus predicted that a lot. He spoke often about it. Um, and so we'll look at the next two weeks at just different groups of people that he met on the way. I'm very excited about today's group. And then week three, we'll look at the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, um, which is obviously known as Palm Sunday. And so on Palm Sunday, we're going to do a traditional Palm Sunday sermon. I mean, that's radical for a new church. And then more radical than that, even on Easter Sunday, I'm going to do an Easter message, all right? Christ, Christ crucified and risen. We're going to celebrate that he's alive. Amen? Yeah. So um, if you'd like to turn to Mark chapter 10, if you've got a Bible with you. Um, if you're not used to reading the Bible, it's in the New Testament, which is the second half of the Bible. And um, it's the second book in. So Matthew, then Mark chapter 10. And we're going to read from verse 13. Mark 10, verse 13. And they were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Don't hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Father, I pray that you'd help us today to get some real treasure out of these verses, out of this amazing story, this surprising story. Lord, you say surprising things, things that we don't expect, things which catch us off off guard. Things that make us rethink our whole approach and attitude to life and certain kinds of people. And Lord, I want to pray today we'll be arrested by your words afresh. I want to pray that by your spirit you'll bring them to life. And we'll be bowled over by what you're teaching here. I pray in your wonderful name. Amen. So, so Jesus is in the region of Judea, which is near Jerusalem. And what, ha- what starts to happen is, I, re- I imagine it's parents, maybe older siblings. But I imagine most likely parents, they begin to bring their children to Jesus, so that he might touch them. Why? I guess it could be a number of reasons. Maybe, maybe they felt that just the anointing from this mysterious northern miracle worker, which is what Jesus was, would be somehow transferred onto the kids. They might receive some kind of anointing. Maybe, maybe they wanted the, um, the blessing of this Galilean rabbi, this 
unpredictable man that people, a lot of people speak about and they've heard rumours about. They've heard about this rabbi does amazing things, amazing miracles. They wanted his hands on to be some kind of blessing on their kids, maybe as sometimes people with no faith will take their children to be christened because they want the sense of feeling like their kids are going to be blessed in some way. Maybe that was what was going on in their mind. Or maybe they just, maybe they just wanted them to be, their children to be around the affection of the lover of souls. They'd heard about this man, he seems to love people. He's known for his love. He just seems to love all, all kinds of surprising people. He loves the outcast. He loves the downtrodden. He, maybe he'll even love the children. Let's bring him along and see what he'll do. So they're bringing him into, um, into the proximity of Jesus so he can get his hands onto them. Now, whatever reason it was, what I do know is this. As parents, as a parent, I can be kind of funny about who touches my kids. You know, you just kind of, you need to trust the person. Do you know what I mean? You need, something in you needs to feel like, yeah, they're all right. And it can be a little bit awkward sometimes when, when people that you're not quite sure about touch a kid. You just think, ah, I don't know what to do now because I don't want to, you know, it's a tricky one. You think, I was in a hospital the other night with Melody. It's quite, it was quite funny, not that she hurt herself, but she, she fell over and hurt her leg, but she kind of developed within a few hours this Long John Silver limp. It was very hilarious. She's about that tall. Just walking around, the kids waiting, I'm like this. Alive. But um, during, during our time there, we, um, I, I got talking with this guy who was homeless and lovely guy, lovely, lovely guy. But obviously um, lived on the streets and he really wanted to be in proximity to Melody. And I thought, I do trust you, it's not a character thing, but you know, I just, man, I don't, I don't, in all, it didn't smell too great and you know, you just thought, is it, is it, is it going to be alright? And there's a dilemma there. And the point I'm making is, is that as a parent, you just tend to be aware of where your kids are and who's touching them. And so the point I'm making is just the fact they were bringing their children to Jesus tells you this, that he's good. Unpredictable? Yes. Very unpredictable. I mean, this guy, sometimes he'd heal people's blindness with a word, other times with a hand, other times he would spit on the floor and make mud and rub it in their eyes. Very unpredictable. The way he healed the deaf and the dumb. I mean, one time he, he, sp- he, spat on the, he spat on the guy's tongue, I think, and he stuck his fingers in his ears and made a deep groan. Mm. <laughs> he was unpredictable. There's no textbook for that kind of behaviour. And yet they wanted to bring their children to him. You think, it's kind of strange. He was controversial. The religious people really weren't sure about him and were constantly trying to trip him up. They didn't like the things he did. He was known as a lawbreaker, he was known as a drunkard and a glutton, even though obviously he wasn't, but he, was, he got that reputation because of the company that he kept. He was definitely unusual and yet good. So they wanted to bring their children to him. But you see, the disciples thought they knew better. Now, if you're a disciple here today, if you would say, yeah, I follow Jesus, let me just warn you, never get to the position where you think you know better. Never get to the position where you think you know the deal, you know how this thing works. The moment you think you know how it works, you know what's going to happen, don't you? The Lord is going to pull the carpet out from under your feet because you don't know how it works. That's the bottom line. And one of the Lord's priorities is keeping you in that place where you realise you don't know how this thing works. Because there's no set way. It's about a relationship. There are certain guiding principles and the Lord doesn't change in terms of character, but his methods vary. Why? He does what he does. I mean, can you imagine it? There's a being in the universe that is accountable to no one. No one can say, what have you done? And expect an answer. He just does. He's, he's unaccountable. The Bible says, no one can ward off his hands. You can't go, God, leave me alone. and say, no. Then what? You can't stop him. That's what he's like. 
But the disciples thought they knew. And they thought, don't these parents realise this is inappropriate? Because there's important stuff to do. You understand what I'm saying? Not children. There's important matters. There's all kinds of things. There's, there's important people. Very, there's, who, there's centurions that want their children healed. Or there's servants. There's synagogue officials. You know, There's Pharisees from Jerusalem. Front of the queue. Children. There's Pharisees from Jerusalem. They're very important. And then there wasn't just the important people. There was the needy people. There were the lepers, the outcasts. There were the paralytics. I'm not talking about the student freshers. <laughs> there, there were all kinds of people that were in need and desperate. Queuing up. They would come from miles around. They were the demonised maniacs. People would bring, most likely in chains and all sorts. Just horrendous. That needed a touch from Jesus. And then once the important people and the needy people had been, been seen to, there were, of course, just... The sensible adults. They surely were next in line. Because adults are sensible and they can have sensible conversations, can't they? Which the Lord must enjoy. Because we're mature. And we say very meaningful things because we're adults. And we, we understand life now. And um, we can engage with some... And stimulate the Lord maybe by our deep, <laughs> deep thoughts and ideas. Maybe we can, you know, I don't know, who knows? We can do these things and... Uh, Meaningful conversations. But kids! They want to talk about marbles. And look, Jesus, I found this stick earlier. You know, and I wonder if his eyebrows come off. How many fingers can I get up his nose? And Jesus, what's your favourite colour? Yeah. You know, silly stuff. It's ridiculous. I mean, the disciples surely, they're thinking, Jerusalem is pending. The cross is looming. It's all getting a bit close and pressurised. This has got to stop. This is starting to look more like a kids' club than a messianic mission. And we've got to put a stop to it. Let's get some order and control here. But when Jesus saw it, he was very put out. He was indignant. He wasn't impressed. And he said to them, mm -mm. you let the children come to me. Don't hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, don't ruin the fun. <laughs> don't ruin the fun. Jesus quickly puts a stop to them, putting a stop to it. Why is Jesus so keen to be with them? A few thoughts. He's very aware of his death coming. Very aware. It's looming. And I, maybe he needed a bit of medicine. And kids have a medicinal quality about them. A real medicinal quality about them. There's a friend of mine, local man, he's recently lost his wife to cancer. Christian guy, goes to a, a local church. I bumped into him in the street the other day. We had a little chat. He said, you'd have to pop, he lives near where the kids go to school. He said, you'd have to pop round when, um, when you're going to pick the kids up from school. I said, sure, no problem. I said, uh, shall I come... Before I get the kids, you know, have a cup of tea or something, or should I come around afterwards with the kids? I don't know, I'm, th I'm thinking, what's me to go around before? Have some wise words, a bit of a pray, you know. <laughs> you know, you know, a bit of meaningful fellowship. He looked at me, smiled and winked, and he said, 
come around afterwards. And I walked off and I thought, wow, I think I've just learned a lesson there. You see, because something about kids is medicinal. They've got it. They've got something special. And it's something that tragically we often lose as we transition to adulthood. And there are certain things we have to lose and leave behind, but there are other things that we don't, but we do. We leave them behind and we wonder, why is life like this? Why does it feel like, where's the wonder? Where's it gone? And it's because we've, we've missed something that's, which is hidden in this, in this passage here. I mean, I'm sure that Jesus probably was just wanting to break from the complex, controversial, highfalutin conversations with these other people and just thought, give me a break. Let's talk about marbles for a minute. You know? I wouldn't be surprised. Just a bit of light relief. But there are other reasons as well. We see the disciples needed to think through what the kingdom was. What is this kingdom about? How does this kingdom work? And they needed to think it through because they'd got it wrong. And there are some things we need to pull out from here. Number one is this. Children can have a profound and close relationship with Jesus. Do not presume the opposite. Do not presume they have to reach a certain point and then they can start getting deep with Jesus. That is a complete fallacy. There's nowhere in the Bible to suggest that. A relationship with God is not primarily about knowledge, but about revelation. It's about a relationship. By the Holy Spirit, kids can enter into that as much as adults can. The dynamics will be different, but it can be just as profound, just as meaningful. This is why we have family praise, one of the reasons. Even though it's probably more of a blessing to us than the kids. (laughs) They're like that. We're like, way. But part of it, it's almost two reasons. One of it is to remind us that this isn't silly. And you haven't got to get complicated and introspective and complicated. As soon as you come into God's presence, you can just rejoice because he loves you at the end of the day no matter what. And, you know, the bank account may be empty and things may be going pear-shaped, but you can still come and celebrate because he's worthy. And so it's a lesson for us. It's a lesson for us that we can be simple and love him and praise him and bless him and even rejoice, even if things aren't going as we'd like. Very important. But also it's for the, it's for the kids as well, so they understand they're not sidelined here. They're not somehow, this is, you know, it's not somehow, well, we're doing the serious stuff now. No, it's all part of this. It's serious. It's not silly, family praise. It's fun, but it's serious. And it's trying to communicate to them and to us this whole thing of how the kingdom of God works. It's why we get Dan up and other teachers up before the kids go out to talk about what the kids are going to be doing. Why? So we can all engage and we know, oh, they're talking about building the temple out there. Why? So during tea and coffee at the end of the service, guess what? We can chat with them about it. I want to encourage you, engage with them. Is a little tip for you, if you're going to engage with the kids, try and get a bit lower. It just helps them. Otherwise they can get neck give us a long conversation. <laughs> It just helps get on the level. Engage with them. Ask how did it go? Because we're looking to build a multi-generational church here. That's the aim. We're looking to build a church where families can come, old and young, all sorts, where they learn from one another, different people in all different walks of life. That's what we're building. Now you might look around and say, it doesn't look like that at the moment. That's not the point. That's what we're building. Give it time. Give it time. We're looking to pull down every single wall, yeah? The Bible says there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, and maybe we can throw in there, old or young, you're all one in Christ Jesus. It's why we're going to do a kids club in April for the, uh, an estate just around the corner. We've got venue, it's very exciting. We're going to do a kids club for a local estate. Our kids come along as well, and the local kids come along, and we'll teach them about Jesus for three days, and then start plugging Sunday here. So that them, and if their parents want to also, they can come along and start being part of things here. And we can begin to reach in and and begin to reach a generation with the gospel that has no idea 
about Jesus. And then Jesus said this. He takes it one step further. Truly I say to you, whoever doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So if it's not shocking enough that the kids are important, guess what? You better start copying them. What? If you're not going to receive the kingdom like them, you're not going to receive it at all. End of story. You can't analyse your way into the kingdom. You can't figure it out. You can't get every I dotted and every T crossed. That is not how it works. It's not that the mind goes dead at all, but through human wisdom, we don't get it. Listen to 1 Corinthians 1.21. Since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. What that's saying is this. The world in all its wisdom has not come to know God. The world in all its advances, you know what? Hasn't advanced. It's advanced scientifically, it's advanced technically, it's advanced in knowledge, it's not advanced morally, it's not advanced in God's eyes at all. It's, it's just as bad as it ever was, and you could argue it's getting worse. In the wisdom of the world, we've not come to know the kingdom. What's the kingdom about? Romans 14, 17, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You don't find it in the world. In the world you find this, you find wars, you find strife, you find depression, anxiety, oppression, injustice, turmoil. Because the world and its wisdom has not come to know God. And it's powerless to come to know God because there's only power that can change. This is the power of the kingdom. And you have to come into that like a child. You want to enter the kingdom of God? Become like a child. Acknowledge you don't know everything. Become, become to develop a hunger to know more of God. But let me say this to you and I warn you here. Make sure that your stance is a stance of belief rather than a stance of Analysis, criticism, cynicism. Hence the difference between a worldly adult and a worldly child. It's very, very massive. We're to believe all things. The Bible says the love believes all things. You think that is ridiculous. That's seen as a weakness. Gullible. People pride themselves. I'm not gullible. Not much gets through my net. Yeah? Oh, no. You think, well, bully for you. You're going to have a whale of a time, aren't you? <laughs> I mean, but it's seen as, it's seen as well, the ultimate thing. I don't get easily, yeah, you, won't, you, know, you won't take me for a mug. Yeah. And you think, well, all right, but you might lose a lot of good stuff in the process. That may happen. Now, we should be shrewd. We should be discerning. But that's different from just questioning everything we can't explain. Isn't it? From just having a stance of not until, not until you prove it. Well, it's not going to happen. The supernatural is mysterious. The supernatural is inexplicable. Kids love that. Kids are born with the ability to believe. When I was young, my sister told me that at night time she went to visit another land. She told me all about it. I got very, very excited. I said, can I come next time? She said, yes, you can. So there was this big build-up one night when she was going to take me to the other land. I was genuinely, because my sister, she wasn't a liar. I thought she means it. So I remember I was on the top bunk, she was on the bottom. I said, when's it going to happen? She said, tonight. I said, oh, great. And uh, it didn't happen. But I believed her because I was a kid. The other day I was driving the kids to school in the, in the van. I said, guys, I said, blow this. Should we just go to Scotland? They went, ah! I said, you better not. But they believed me, you see. They thought, we're going to do it. 
because they're kids. When I was young, my dad told me he was a Vietnam vet. I believed him. Story after story of what happened in the Vietnam War. His accent would change everything. I, didn't, I thought this was true. I know. Scars. When I was four years old, I took my dad and his, his wife and took me to Benidorm with another family. I remember, I remember four years old, my dad and his friend come running around the corner. I said, what's the matter? I said, the police have been throwing grenades. They've been, oh my goodness. So they, they've been chasing my dad with guns and grenades. Well, they hadn't. That's what he told. He's a great storyteller, my dad. His, big, his, his, his famous cliche is never let the truth get in the way of a good story. And uh, it was amazing. I believed him. Why? Because I was a kid. Now, you can respond in two ways to that. You can say, well, it, teach, it shows you that it's completely ridiculous and stupid to believe things. But I would put to you, there was nothing wrong with the belief. What was wrong was the lies. The belief was fine. The problem was the message wasn't true. But God can't lie, you see. In fact, the Bible says there's only one thing God can't do, and that's lie. Only one thing. Let God be true, though every man a liar. God doesn't lie. God doesn't lie. And so we must believe him like little children and say, I'm going to just take you at your word. And I believe that for us that involves actually some deconstruction of a set way of thinking which says, not until, or whatever. Or self-protection. For many of us, we lose the wonder of childhood as we become adults. Either through a broken heart or crushed spirit or hope deferred or bad experience or hardened heart and we become like a castle where we're just all locked and bolted up. And we feel safe because I mean, we're not going to get, we're not going to get, you know, no one's going to easily hurt me now. Thinking no one's going to easily heal you now either if you're in that state. There's no access. And so you need to undo the bolts, unlock the thing, open the door, let the walls down and say, God, I'm going to entrust myself to you now. That's the essence of a relationship with God, that you trust him. And sometimes we can get into silly mode where we, we kind of feel, God's telling us to trust him on a certain thing, and we're just plain scared. So we, instead we say, no, but I'll tell you what we'll do though, Lord, I'll, I'll fast for three days and I'll read my Bible more. Because I'm not interested. I'm not interested. It will do you no good. I'm asking you to do this. You say, well, I'll give more. You say, I'm not asking you to give more. I'm talking to you about this. And you're not trusting me. God, listen to what the Lord is saying to your heart and respond in faith as what kids do. Belief is a key manifestation of childlikeness, as is dependence. We call them that, don't we? These, have you got any dependents? Yeah? I've got three. Depend they depend on me. If we're not around, they're not going to get themselves breakfast at this age. They're not going to get themselves dressed. At, well, they're going to try it, but it'll look funny. You know? They need help. They need cuddles. Yeah? Uh, maybe we never grow out of that. <laughs> but specifically when you're young, you need some cuddles. You need lots of love going in there. You need these things. You're a dependent. You need to be taught right and wrong. You're dependent, otherwise you've just you got no compass. You don't know. This is what you're a dependent, you see. It's the same, this is the same as a Christian. We are dependents. And this is what marks us out as different from every other religion which focuses on do this now, do that now, willpower, achieve this. No, we say, no, we can't do anything. God, save me. God says, I'm going to save you. Now learn to live dependent. God's not overly interested in what we bring. You can't impress God. You can't say, look at this, Lord. It's like, if you think from a good heart, I get excited. You know, sometimes kids bring me a bit of Lego and it's just like one bit. 
And it's, it's impressive because they've brought me, do you know what I mean? But it's not in and of itself, you wouldn't frame it, you know? But, you know, so in that sense, but if we're trying to just bring something to try and make him accept this, no, there's no need for that. I just want you, I just want to love you. I just want to love you. Just be a kid. Just sit on my lap. It's all right. It's okay. Just talk marbles. It's all right. That's how he works, you see? You must know how to say, I need you, Lord, as a Christian. If you've never said, I need you, Lord, and, and, and meant it, then you're missing out a huge element of your relationship with God. You must be able to say, I've got no idea, Lord. If you can't say, I've got no idea. I one of my biggest prayers is, I haven't got a clue. If you genuinely ask me how this church is doing so well, I, say, I haven't got a clue. <laughs> really. I don't know. There's no big strategic map with pins and arrows on it in my heart. I, I, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. But I say, God, I believe you've called me. Tell me what to do. And he does. Yeah. And you obey. You haven't got to be clever. Don't you like that? You haven't got to be clever in this game. And I want to just speak just quickly now. Two more things before we finish. One is how maturity in the kingdom is very different from maturity in the world. Okay? So when you become mature in the world, there's certain things which are good. You learn how to take responsibility, hold down a job. But there are other things you tend to get, which is just this thing where you learn to kind of, you learn to kind of present what you know other people want you to present. You understand what I'm saying? The transparency goes. You learn how to do your thing and you put on this for this situation and that for that. And in some ways, practically, you have to learn how to navigate certain things. I understand that. But we can lose just that sense of, well, this is it. This is me. Need to restore. Need, that needs to get restored. And some of you might even really think, I don't even know what that is anymore. I've been, I've been playing the game for so long. The Lord will show you. The Lord will show you. But it's just an innocence, the transparency that God wants to put in us. is a profound thing. If you said to me, Steph, what has God been saying to you in the last month more than anything? It's become like a child. Become like a child. Become like a child. What's the point of pretending, pretending you know when you don't? <coughs> Just get on with not knowing and trusting. And he gives revelation. He gives understanding. And as you obey him, it works. It's simple. It's simple. So kingdom maturity should be marked by wonder, delight, playfulness, innocence, that. Simplicity, that is spirituality. This centered on Jesus. Final thing. And he took them in his own arms, blessed them, laid his hands on them. Straight in the disciples, out, right, come on, let's get on with it. Who's first? I don't think it was like, who is next? <laughs> who is next? I think it was like that. See, I think we can get so religious. I think it was like that. He's like, right, who's next? Come on. Yeah, put, 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 put that. Yeah, come on. Who's next? I think it's much more like that. It's human. Fully man. I wouldn't bring my, I don't think I'd bring my child to a who is next. Who is next? I don't think I'd bring her. <laughs> what could get imparted? What could you end up with as a kid? You think, walking around talking like that? I don't think it's like that. I think it's very, very. So the final thing, and perhaps this is the most profound thing, and then we're going to finish. Ultimately, why does God say we need to be like kids? Well, to answer that, we need to take one step back and ask, ultimately, who does God want us to become like more than anyone else? Himself. The Bible says be imitators of God, Ephesians 5.1. Romans 8, we're going to be conformed to his likeness. Matthew 5, be perfect as your father's perfect. God is childlike. It's an essential part of his character. Not childish, 
Two very different things. But childlike. Because God says I want you to become like me, and God says I want you to become like a child. If they're not similar, then we're being sent confusing messages there. This explains why God still loves us. Have you ever noticed how kids are so good at getting over fallouts? Adults goes on for years. I haven't spoken, I won't speak to them, do I speak to me? And you get like families not speaking feuds for years. Kids will be like rolling around in the gravel, punching each other, and five minutes later, oh, make up, okay, crack on. Because they haven't, they're not, oh, they don't harbour these things, harbour, harbour, build it up, build it up, build it up. Pride, not gonna, you have to apologise for it. No, don't do that. Yeah? It's horrible. God's like that, he's innocent like that. I'll forgive you, sure. I'll believe in you again. Come on, let's have another go. That's what he's like. He doesn't write itself. That's what God's like. Keeps no record of wrongs. God is untainted by the world's malice. Untainted. He's seen every sin that's happened and he's remained totally untainted in character by it. Gloriously innocent. Gloriously innocent. Have you noticed that kids are happy with repetition? Have you noticed that? Kids are happy with repetition. Do you notice this? Play with some kids, you'll realise. It's a winner if you like being funny. You crack on a good joke, you can get 100 runs out of it. Fantastic. <laughs> All within 10 minutes. <laughs> Have you looked in a Revelation at the songs that get sung? They're pretty short and they tend to repeat themselves quite a lot. God doesn't mind. Now notice this because it's quite profound. As an adult often, you get fed up quick, so you move on. And then you spend the rest of your life thinking, oh, shouldn't have moved on from that. And thinking back to yesteryear, that really good moment. Either due to anxiety or drivenness or whatever, you just move on. I heard enough of that, what's next? God is gloriously content just to be with us, just to be who he is, just to receive us. He's wonderful. The Lord loves to sing, dance and rejoice, so the children. The Lord is soft-hearted and emotionally expressive, so are children. That is the maturity he's calling us into. And if our church can be marked by that, then I think we'll make a huge impact in the world because we'll love people genuinely. We'll be filled with his presence. And somehow we'll be able to survive. And there's two ways of surviving in the world. One is you get hard, you get tough. The other is, is that you just walk closely with God. Any other way you try and do, you're going to get damaged bad. And so the idea is we just stay close to Jesus. And we let all bitterness, all resentment melt away in his gaze. And we just constantly keep, bring, keep a short account with him, keep bringing it back, keep bringing it back. Say, Lord, make me like you, make me like a child, make me like a child. Because if it's becoming like a child that you enter the kingdom, you bet your life it's by being a child that you progress in the kingdom. Okay, you haven't got to get clever at any point on the way. Stay humble, stay close to the Lord. Amen? Amen. Well, I'm going to just pray. Let's approach the Lord's throne with childlike faith, shall we? The band could come up. We're going to just spend time loving Jesus some more. We love you, Lord. We love you so much. And we're bowled over today by your love for us. And you're just happy to just be with us. And even, Lord, like children, we can just come and sit in your lap and be with you. Thank you, Lord. We haven't got to be impressive, but you love us. You love us. I want to ask you, as I'm praying now, just open your hearts to the Lord. Open your hearts to the Lord. If it helps you, open up your hands. Just to open up, just to receive the love of God. Just to receive the love of God. It's not about what you've accomplished. It's not about what you're like compared to so-and-so. It's not about that. He loves you because he's your father. 
And he's a perfect father. So I pray, Heavenly Father, I pray by the Spirit as we worship and praise, I pray for revelations of your love. I pray you melt people's hearts. Some of you need to repent of hardness. You just need to repent of getting hard, getting cynical and changing your stance. And you don't want none of that going on. It's not going to help you. It's not going to glorify him. It just means you just be building walls up between people because you're scared or whatever. And you end up like a castle, isolated inside. And the Lord wants to just take in his arms and he'll protect you. Lord, I pray for my precious brothers and sisters here. Let them know, Lord, the sweet wind, the sweet breath of your loving spirit on them today, even now. Let them know, Lord, your nearness, your intimacy, your proximity. Let them know, Lord, your glorious, tender affections towards them, I pray. Let them know, let them know, let them know the simplicity, Lord, of walking with you, I pray. Lord God, I pray, pray your spirit, pray your spirit that we might be, that we might be softened and melted, Lord God. Hallelujah. We love you, Lord.